Hello, welcome to the Higher Education Researcher. This is a podcast by the Center for Higher Education Research and Evaluation at Lancaster University. My name is Olga Rotter, and my guest today is Kate Wicklow. Kate is a doctoral student on the Higher Education Research Evaluation and Enhancement doctoral program at the Educational Research Department at Lancaster University. Welcome, thanks for coming, Kate. My pleasure. We are going to talk about Kate's research. In her study, Kate looks at how students are performing consumers' behaviors, as defined by government policies, and how this relates to their judgments of value for money. Kate, let me first of all ask you, what is value for money in the context of higher education, and why this is a topic of your research? So thanks, Olga. Um, This is a question I've been really preoccupied with um, for a number of years. Um, My whole working life, I've worked in um, national higher education organisations as a policy advisor. Um, And it's a fascinating and complicated question that pops up um, very, very frequently. Um, I think, like all things, there's more than one answer to that, depending on your background and also the role you play in the university ecosystem. So students have a different view compared to academics, uh, compared to the policymakers and, and government. So I think it's only fair that all angles of that debate are explored. So I come from a sociology background um, and entering into this world of economics and valuation studies and market making um, has been absolutely fascinating, um, especially comparing the ways people make purchasing decisions with the way in which they choose what higher education providers to study and what subjects. Um, but so many of those conversations are, are rooted around kind of consumer behaviours um, and not necessarily focused on the way in which students themselves navigate through those systems. Um, there are so many choices made about whether you university is worth it. Um, And of course, now there's this substantial debt burden to consider. Um, If you do decide or have been encouraged to go to university, then choosing what and where to study is actually really complicated. There's something like 50,000 courses available on UCAS in nearly 400 providers. And that's a lot of information for prospective students to get their head around um, and massively influences their perceptions of value uh, once they get onto campus. So My study is looking at both the ways in which they navigate through that system and are potentially influenced by external factors such as um, the government narrative of value for money. But then also once they get onto campus and experience both the academic and social side of university, the ways in which that might change their expectations of what university is and what it's for and the way in which they should navigate through that system. Uh, Governments have been really focused on describing value for money very much in terms of an economic investment. So um, you might come out with this huge financial debt, but you're more likely to earn money um, in a very highly skilled job and get more promotions. So there's this kind of personal benefit to you. Um, But a more educated workforce theoretically also drives productivity and innovation. So the whole economy benefits. This is that kind of public-private good debate um, that we're having. So Value for money is seen by managers and regulators as driving efficiency in spending and being accountable for public investment in the service of education. Um, And so we've got this new regulator in the Office of Students that changes the way um, higher education is being monitored. And a lot of that monitoring is data related to student outcomes rather than how the student experience is delivered. But when you ask students about what value for money is, you get many, many more definitions. So, yeah, some of it is about return on investment in terms of graduate jobs and salaries. But 
Also, it's more immediately about the quality of the student experience. So if they feel they have great lectures and are supported and have the right facilities and resources, um, such as libraries and labs, etc., um, and access to affordable and safe accommodation, um, as well as activities that help build social networks and sense of belonging, then they're more likely to feel um, a sense of value and, and having a good quality student experience. And so much of the conversation about higher education is framed by academics exploring and critiquing national policy interventions. So all of this stuff we're hearing around value for money in terms of um, making sure that there is a return on investment. But what they don't do is analyse the student role in shaping and informing that narrative and, and the, the actions that they undertake being influenced by those. So that's why I've chosen to focus on this policy problem from a student perspective um, and to try and add some alternative views to the debate. Thank you very much, Kate. In your research, you also explore the notion of students as consumers. Could you tell us more about the origin and the development of this debate? Yeah, of course. So, someone that spent a lot of my working life talking to students and representing their interests, um, there's certainly not one definition of students as consumers. And actually, not all students feel like consumers all of the time, or sometimes ever. Um, and there's even a counter movement called the Students as Partners or the co-production model that aims to empower academics and students to work together in shaping their learning environment. Um, but some of those activities actually sit within within that field can just as easily be labelled as consumer behaviours as they can of a kind of more collaborative student engagement. So it all comes down, I suppose, to whether we define a consumer as an active or a passive role and the way in which we explore the power and the relationships between the kind of buyer and the seller. Um, of course, it's more complicated in HE because the product isn't that well defined. You can't buy a degree, um, but you do make a financial comp contribution to the experience that leads you to the outcome of receiving a qualification. Um, so we must remember that there's equal responsibility between the student and the university to make the most out of that experience and to get the best possible outcome for the individual. Um, through my research, I've been looking at what other um, areas of different industries and sectors also do in relation to customers. Um, pretty much all companies use consumer panels in one way or another, which improves their products and services and also often brand reputation. And there are also lots of public and ex-public sector industries such as healthcare and utilities that go one step further and actually have um, customers on their kind of main boards and panels, um, which feeds into the overall strategy of the company. And so in this sense, actually, higher education isn't that different. Um, student representatives exist and have a variety of forums to provide feedback that shapes their learning experience. Um, and they also quite regularly, to their annoyance, are asked to complete tons of surveys around all parts of the student experience. Um, and depending on the way you look at it, those interventions could be seen as employing a consumer mentality, but actually it could just easily relate to a partnership approach um, and a genuine regard by the provider to give students a voice and power in their student experience. Thank you very much, Kate. There seem to be many myths out there that if students are consumers, they automatically turn more utilitarian in their expectations. They're more caring for pleasure, for grace and for their employability. In your opinion, is it really so? That is a really hard question to answer, actually. Um, yes and no. So, unfortunately, um, we mostly only get to hear the really extreme stories of things like students suing their university because they couldn't get a job or uh, were missold the experience where um, 
quite often actually students are as culpable as the provider in having kind of unrealistic expectations um but actually who can blame them when they're constantly being told by government and the media that university brings all these financial benefits uh, without actually highlighting the need for students to put any work in themselves. And I think there's often this kind of crass comparison made between universities and gym membership. So you can't sue the gym for not getting fitter if you pay your membership and never go. And it's, it's kind of the same with, with universities as well. But it is really easy for students to slip into that consumer narrative. Um, and there are so many influences around them buying into that notion, actually including some universities themselves, even in the language that they use to speak to students and as part of their marketing activities. Um, and that does have a direct influence on the way in which they frame the interaction and the relationship they have with their tutors and also other people in the university. They also seem to be caught in the middle of this very weird kind of media depiction of what university experience looks like and this kind of quite old-fashioned view that to go to university is a full campus experience where you party all night and you have lectures in the day um, and this kind of new market-led outcome focused um, government narrative of you must get a 2-1 and uh, we promise you'll get a good job and actually students can't have it both ways um, and they completely ignore the fact that many students now have to work during term time to pay for their living expenses as maintenance loans just don't cover those costs um, and of course bank of mum and dad is not what it used to be um, and there are more students from more diverse backgrounds entering higher education so one of the things I'm really fascinated by is the, the way in which the diversity of the student population and also the diversity of the ways that students engage in their learning experience affects this narrative of value for money when actually the financial pressures of living at university are, if not more deeply felt than the tuition fee debt at the end. Um, also, I have to say that whilst I've said earlier about um, universities competing for student numbers there's actually competition within the student pool themselves so they're very acutely aware that there are now lots of graduates in the world and they have to use their student experience to make themselves stand out so whether that's engaging in more extracurricular or employability activities or putting more pressure on themselves to do academically better and um, that sometimes bubbles over into this kind of sense of entitlement and frustration that they're not doing as well as they thought um, but for non-traditional students entering HE, often without that kind of family background experience of what university is like, um, what they pick up from the media is very different in, in terms of what to expect and how to act within that um, collaborative learning environment. Thank you very much, Kate. I wanted to ask you to tell us more how is your study different and what does it aim to bring to the field? So yeah, so there have been um, a few generic studies of the ways in which students talk about value for money, um, but they've mainly been studies situated within kind of one faculty of a university, usually a business school, um, and have not really explored the impact of the background of those students on the way that they talk about value for money. Um, also, a large proportion of uh, research projects that look specifically about value seem to have been undertaken before the change in tuition fees within the UK or actually are primarily research based overseas that have completely different fee systems. Um, so studies like Woodall et al in 2014 um, I find really interesting because they used a kind of economic value equation to explore definitions with students of value but they didn't differentiate between students prior expectations and motivations um, and they also didn't challenge that student, student consumer narrative and how it may have influenced their views so 
I said at the beginning, the main aim of my research was to focus on the student perception of value and the way in which they navigate and negotiate through this market narrative. But of course, PhD is not an infinite account of everything that's going on within one um, field of research. So I'm going to also focus on a really specific group of students. And so they are the first in their family to attend. And I think they're really interesting because they have different expectations, different motivations, different familial experiences of education that frame the way in which they look at what choices they have on offer and the, and the way in which they act when they arrive on campus. Um, I was f the first and actually still the only person in my family to go to university. And I remember being on campus in those first few months, not having a clue what to do. Um, I didn't know where to go, how to learn. I didn't know how to live on my own. And it was actually really overwhelming. So there are also, unfortunately, actually, very few studies that specifically look at the cohort of students who are first in their family. So as well as giving all students a voice in the narrative around um, what value for money is, I, I thought it was really important to also give these groups of students a voice. Um, because I know how much I struggled, even though it was quite a few years ago now, um, when I went to university. But I know that there are definitely different ways in which we can frame the university student experience and, and help different students be able to be most effective within that academic community. I think it is really important to explore this in the light of the fact that there are so many more students going to university now from very, very different backgrounds. And actually, they all want slightly different things out of their experiences. They all have slightly different needs when they're there. Um, and we don't have this homogenous student experience in which we can benchmark um, student opinions on based on kind of very old middle class perceptions of the university student experience. We really do need to get into great detail actually about how university is a positive force in many different ways. Thank you very much, Kate. Let me ask you about your theoretical and methodological approaches. Since there are many PhD researchers who are going to listen to this podcast, it will be interesting for them to know what kind of theoretical frame you use and what kind of methodological approach you employ in your study. Sure. So um, I'm using Callon's notion of performativity as the theoretical lens. Um, I think it works quite well as the basis to explore both the way policies are enacted on the ground um, and the way in which different actors, so in this case students, are influenced by that narrative. Um, it also, from kind of my sociology background, kind of neatly weaves together what I've already been researching around the kind of construction of identities through um, Bourdieu and Judith Butler, um, with some of those more economic notions of value and behaviours. So that was a really interesting learning curve for me as well. Performativity in its most basic form, actually, is a theory that describes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the way a theory, in this case, the marketization of HE um, and student consumerism, um, manipulates the actions of the various stakeholders and brings together our understanding of how economies operate, um, but also with the way in which those constituent actors are influenced by the framing of those economies. So I'm using performativity to um, analyze my data, looking at the extent to which students are performing those consumer-like behaviors and recognize that they're performing them, um, and also the extent to which then that influences their judgments of value for money. One of the interesting things in the performativity notion um, that Callon talks about is also the, the theory of calculative agency, so the way in which actors within um, the different research fields um, 
frame their understanding of what's happening. So he argues that we're not the rational actors that um, economists suggest that we are through the kind of socio-economicus um, stuff, but actually that we're made to be rational and by the influencing factors of, of marketization and practice. Um, so I'm looking at the ways in which students might be influenced by the framing of what higher education is, um, and that's the framing of government also the way the media portrays it and the marketing strategies of the university. So I'm working with three different providers, um, a high, medium and low tariff provider, all in the northeast based in cities. Um, and as well as having focus groups and interviews with students who are first in their family to attend within those three institutions. I'm also looking at the websites of those three providers to look to see the extent to which they're using um, heavily marketized language and also comparing that to the way in which government is um, kind of paving the way for value for money in terms of the policies. Um, so things like the Competition and Markets Authority and the Advertising Standards Agency, coupled with the new Office for Students and, and their kind of regulatory um, activities around value for money, such as the TEF. Um, and so kind of comparing those three different constituent um, groups of people in the way in which they perceive what value is and seeing the extent to which that has consciously or unconsciously influenced students and um, their views and their experiences of, of going through the system. I'm looking forward to hear the results of your study and hopefully I will see you in our podcasts at some point in future. Let me ask you if there is anything else you would like to add. Um, well there's just one thing and it's kind of a, a challenge to the sector really. So. Um, the hardest part of this study for me and, and talking to students about value for money is actually that so many students, regardless of their background, actually, um, fundamentally misunderstand what their tuition fee pays for. Mm -hmm. So they don't know if £9,000 is the cost of just their course, uh, whether they're being subsidised, whether they're subsidising other courses. Um, and that's where we get into this whole annoying notion of um, dividing the number of contact hours between £9,000. They also don't know um, the extent to which they have additional fee costs and their friends in other institutions don't, and they find that really confusing and frustrating. Um, they know that it covers lectures and kind of some of the academic student support functions, also sometimes the library, but they really don't think it pays for estates management or um, university management or research or any of those kind of things. And I think we really do need to have a more nuanced conversation with students about exactly how tuition fees are spent and be more transparent about that because I think we can definitely have a, a, a higher quality conversation about value for money in the sector if everyone was just a bit more transparent about who's paying for what and where that money goes. Thank you very much, Kate. It was Kate Wicklow and the Higher Education Researcher. Have a good day.